Welcome back, I suppose. I am delighted to announce that today's podcast is sponsored by the local town crier service, Town Square Space. I mean, I say that I'm delighted, but as you can imagine, I'm being less than completely sincere. Town Squarespace provides an all-in-one platform that gives you everything you need to announce your announcements or proclaim your proclamations. Who writes this stuff? Town Squarespace's professional town criers are at least 30% louder than any other town criers. Whether you're just getting started or are an established brand, our powerful platform helps your business grow. I remember when it was perfectly acceptable to announce your next genocidal plan by posting it on the local notice board, but apparently no one looks at notice boards anymore, so you have to pay a man to bellow in people's faces. You people sicken me. Back to the podcast. I have let Russ Morrissey and Peter Coffey out of the dungeon for a few hours. You're lucky you can't smell them. All the tabletop role-playing news We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morrissey's unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I, as always, am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ. And with me, as always, is my co-host... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ, I am, as ever, both delighted and delectable. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, I'm still here. And isn't that what really matters? Uh, Russ, Russ, we also have with us in our studio our uh, Faces Made for Radio... Uh, broadcasting situation, <laughs> we have the fantastic, the, the one and only, the man whose name we apparently are reliably not pronouncing properly. I'm going to say Chris Spivy. And I'm going to say Chris Spivey. Which one of us is correct, Chris? Well, one of you is correct and one of you is wrong. <laughs> and it would be Chris Spivey. Oh, I was correct. There oh, we go. Oh, that's mine. Okay, Chris Spivey. Early in the morning here, so I will not hold it against you. <laughs> Oh, I best not mention it in the afternoon for us, otherwise that would be awkward. Anyway, uh, I should probably have checked that before before we had you on the podcast, but never mind. <laughs> so do you, do, you, do, you want to, do you want to tell our listeners who Chris is? Introduce him. Oh, yes, yes, that would have been an awesome idea. It'd probably be a good that. idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is the creative genius, I believe, uh, editor-in-chief at Darker Hue Studios, who, with Harlem and Bound, managed to get themselves a gold any for, what was it, best product? Or um, best well, I, I managed to acquire three gold ennies. Three gold ennies. Oh, okay. Best writing, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Best, best setting, and for best cover, which no, Brennan Reese killed it on. You, you should have warned them for the podcast. <laughs> you know, like how um, Olympic athletes sometimes go on to chat shows wearing their, uh, wearing their gold medals. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, th- I think that would have helped as well. Um, and also a man whose writing is so awesome that he had to be pipped by the, actual, by the concept of actual play uh, <laughs> at the Origins. <laughs> That was the only thing holding him back from gold. It was yeah. the it was the concept of actual play. They had to that, bring that, in an entire was, metaphysical concept in order to to hold this man yeah. down. That, that, that was, was just how it that, is. That was the Diana Jones, not the Origins, I believe. But yeah, that was oh, a, that was an odd call. That. But I was also fortunate enough to win the Indie Groundbreaker Award, which I'm also really proud of too. Excellent. Damn straight. Well done. Yeah. So it's been uh, 2018. Has been quite quite a good year then, really. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it was a passing year. <laughs> it was a year that happened. <laughs> um, so, um, moving swiftly on. So, Peter, could you tell me what's caught your eyes in the worlds of RPGs in the last week? Mm, well, I think probably the thing that uh, was most interesting to me personally, there, there, there were a couple of things. One was playing a different race of human sensitively by James Mendes Rhodes, uh, or Rhodes, potentially can't pronounce his name either it's a common thing i've got going on i i I hope it's Rhodes, like the place but it might be Rhodes. it's hard to say um anyway uh and he had a whole article about may i play a character from another race and how to do it sensitively which was sort of entirely unrelated to chris coming on uh, because he's also got some advice on that where in his um uh harlem and bound but also i did also see a how to set up a uh, 200 member self-sustaining gaming community so that is something that will be put in the show notes, but which I thought was definitely worthy about talking. Um, so and how, how do you set up a 200-member self-sustaining gaming community? By self-sustaining, do you mean like 
like a greenhouse where they don't need to get food in from the outside. And what do you mean by self-sustaining? Well, I, I don't mean like an ark for us. Right, okay. <laughs> Just clarifying that. It, it, it's like the Eden Project or something. Said, like the Eden Project, but for geeks. Well, that yeah. is, that is something, that's an aspiration that we're all going for. But it's basically okay. um, you just advertise and advertise and advertise and say, hey, you should come play with us. Um, and the variety of different channels that would do it. Uh, there's, it. It's just generally you just keep doing it. And okay. you just keep saying, hey, come play with us. Yay, we're awesome. Come play role play games, uh, which obviously I'm a big believer in. Okay, then. Yeah. What's caught your eye, Russ? Well, um, I'm going to be a little bit self-serving with my caught my eye this week. Oh, because yesterday I posted a job advert. A job advert? A job advert I've been meaning to post for about six months. Oh, is this for your publishing assistant? Yeah. So you see, the problem was yeah. I didn't have enough time to yeah. post the job advert, which would give <laughs> me the time to put... <laughs> what I actually need is a person to be already doing the job so they could write and post the advert for me, but... <laughs> So it's been six months and I've been trying to find the time to write this job posting. Oh, yeah, yeah. D- d- Unbelievable. Too too busy to, to, to get the help you need, yeah. Wow. Yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, it's a, a publishing administrator job. It's a 10 to maybe 15 hours a week, part-time job, UK-based, mm-hmm. although working from home. Um, and it just involves all sorts of things, uh, all levels of the publishing process. So, um, you know, from... Uh, updating records to dealing with distributors to dealing with printers to um, commissioning um, marketing materials to arranging convention appearances you know the whole the whole suite of stuff which I spent so much time doing over the last six months that I haven't had time to do my own job so hopefully this will mean that I can actually start doing what I actually got into this to do which was actually write stuff interesting so you want to actually write role playing I want to get back to actually writing stuff yeah Ah, that would be nice no, that's fantastic news. Um, we're glad that you're able to um, take someone to help with the uh, mammoth task of running Ian Ball Publishing. Yeah, so if, any, if anyone is looking for a job in the gaming industry, hop onto the show notes and there will be a link there to the job ad. Fantastic. Um, Chris, has anything caught your eye in the world of RPGs? Uh, a Kickstarter did, actually. It's called oh. uh, Rosenstrasse. It's pretty incredible. Uh, it's basically... Uh, one-shot game that starts around 1933 Berlin, and it deals with a a Jewish a <clears throat> with the rise of the with the rise of the Nazis, and there's um, a yeah, Jewish yeah. family gets married between the two different pair, and it sort of charts the racial political impact of the Nazi party on their marriage, and it becomes very engaging for the players over the course of like a ten-year span. Wow! And I believe they also did it in conjunction with a Holocaust museum, and they are on point for their research from everything I've seen. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. That's on Kickstarter now, is it? Yes. Yeah. Rosenstrasse, yeah? Yes. Uh, Second I saw it, I had to back it. It's That's right. Okay, yeah. Um, Please whack that over to us at some point, and we'll whack it in the show notes so people can find out more about it. Yeah, okay. All right, then. Let's do some news, shall we? Yes. Um, Right, then, in the news. Uh, So um, let's, let's get the nasty stuff out of the way first. Oh, uh, yeah. The continuing saga of Zach S. We'll, sh- we'll, again, shoot through this really quickly. It's just that a bunch of companies have now actually responded. Wizards okay, of the Coast, okay. Gen uh, yep. even Lamentations of the Plain Princess. So I'm just going to really oh, quickly just say what they said and we'll move on because we don't have to dive into this yes. too much. Um, so Wizards of the Coast, as, as you recall, Mike Mills made an initial tweet which wasn't very well received. Oh. Uh, we discussed that last week. Um, Wizards of the Coast have followed up with a further more detailed statement. Uh, I won't read the whole thing, but basically it's a much better statement. They say that they regret their choice uh, to work with him back in 2014. Um, they've planned a Dungeon Masters Guild bundle to raise funds for Rain, which is the Rapist Use and Incest National Network, which I believe has made sort of something like 60-odd, 70-odd thousand dollars now or something. It's, it's doing really well, that bundle. It's definitely worth getting in on that bundle because... It's got some really amazing stuff in. Yeah. Like, it's been an outpouring of incredible generosity for these creators, uh, letting their work go for some very bargain prices. And, yeah. yeah I think I think Wizards and um, Drive-Thru are both donating their share of the profits um, mm, to, mm. The, to, the, uh, to the charity. Um, Jane Con also has made a statement. Uh, again, kind of short and sweet, but uh, Zach S has been banned from attending Gen Con permanently. Mm. 
Uh, Lamentations of the Frame Princess made a statement. It was quite a long statement. Oh. Um, it, was, it, was, um, it was interesting. Um, it started by um, saying that Zach's work has been cancelled. They're not destroying any existing stock, but they won't be printing any more. Well, um, other than the stuff that they have with the prints already. Yeah, yeah, um, and and they won't be they won't be working with him further. Then towards the end of the statement, it got a little weird. Um, I yeah. think I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put a link in the show notes, and people can go and look at it themselves, and they can um, draw their own conclusions as to what they think of that. But oh. I don't know. I took a little bit of a turn towards the end of the statement there. Yes, yes. It started uh, not, off well. Not entirely <laughs> unexpected, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah Unfortunately, really. I guess so. Oh. Um, and as, as, as we mentioned last week, Drive-Thru has already said it won't sell any future works by him. Ken Hyatt said he won't work with him. The Gauntlet blog and podcast has said that it will no longer cover him. Yeah. Um, D&D Beyond has removed um, his credits. Oh, that's the other thing Wizard of the Coast said. They're removing um, Zach's credits from um, future printings of the Player's Handbook. Yeah, I think D&D Beyond removed all consultant credits. Yeah, yeah. From, from the work. So, yeah, um, that, that was that was certainly a thing. Um so are they removing his specifically or just all of the consultants as, in general? As far as I can tell, just his. Okay. I'm not 100% sure, but that's what, it, that's what it looks like. Well, from my understanding, okay. I thought they were going to remove all the credits, which... I oh. think D- D&D Beyond did do that. Yeah, yeah. Just removed a whole lot. But uh, anyway, anyway, let's, let's, let's move on from that distasteful subject and move on to something a bit more cheerful, shall we? Very good. Uh, so Critical Role... Um, they announced last year that they were going independent, leaving Geek and Sundry. Mm-hmm. Um, this has now happened. As of last Thursday, um, mm-hmm. they have left Geek and Sundry. Um, Critical Role was obviously like the most popular RPG live stream on the planet. Yeah, Matt, Matt Mercer and his merry crew. Yeah. By an order of magnitude. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it is massive. Um, so uh, they've now got you know their own um, network, which uh, as of Thursday, February the twenty first, um, that and Vox Machina, which is the sort of talk show um, based on it, um, have both uh, have both gone uh, independent, going up on YouTube. Is that YouTube Premium or something, or what's? I, the... I, I, I don't know. To be Okay, fair enough. Here we go. Uh, Critical Role has its own Twitch channel and its own YouTube page. There we go. Uh, and, of course, the Critical Role Podcast Network. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Do you remember we mentioned Monty Cook Games last week? Yes. Yes, we mentioned And there, there, there were uh, slipping torn-out oh, yeah. pages of Numenera products into their um, packages to customers. Well, well torn-out had... torn pages of a proposed Numenera conversion to Fifth Ed. Fifth well, it was, it, it, was actu- it was actual pages from existing Numenera books. Yes. Cypher system. But, but um, in the margins, they scribbled fifth edition notes all around them and just slipped them into various um, packages which they were sending out to customers. Oh, I got this, sort of stealth, this stealth marketing campaign, which worked pretty well. Yeah, well, we noticed it, so yeah. Bit, bit of marginalia. Oh, yeah. a bit of marginalia. Um, so it was, it was a very short marketing campaign because mm-hmm. just days later, in fact, on Wednesday, which was you know, a week ago now, almost, when mm-hmm. this goes out. Mm-hmm. Um, they have announced their new project coming to Kickstarter in March. It's a fifth edition compatible sci-fantasy um, source book, which allows you to play in settings using the D&D fifth edition rules, but um, settings like the Barrier Peaks or Numenera. Oh, okay. So really bringing that sci-fi vibe to fifth edition Dungeons & Dragons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. as they say, as they say, nowadays, who knows science fantasy better than Monty Cook games? Certainly not a question I'd like to answer. <laughs> right oh. Um, so it's called Arcana of the Ancients, or Arcana of the Ancients, depending whether you're That's... British or American. Um, and it's your comprehensive guide to bringing science fantasy into your fifth edition game, filled with creatures, devices, abilities, technologies, tips, etc. How good. Yep. Fantasy Flight Games have posted some information about Shadowlands, the um, new source book for Legend of the Five Rings. Oh, nice, nice. So that being the oriental, vaguely samurai-themed, but with a great war against the chaos, orientalist, I guess, role-playing game? Uh, it says, 144-page book exploring yep. the horrors that lurk in the shadows south of the... I'm going to start pronouncing words wrong. Uh, Kayu Wall in the day in the domain of Fu Lang. I don't, I don't know whether I said them right or not. Uh, well, I, I, I can't say it written down, so I, I got no opinion think, on this. You know, when it comes uh, to things like this, you just kind of just say it how it's written and just hope for the best, don't you? There's a certain amount of just spray and pray. Um. <laughs> 
<laughs> you see Chris there, look, he's just laughing at us. He's like, who are these people? <laughs> he, 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 he is, and to be fair, it's, it's only reasonable, really. <laughs> but I was nice enough to mute the laughing. <laughs> oh, that's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yes. Anyway, we, we, we you, do, are, you we, are more than welcome to include your laughter in your mocking derision on our podcast. It's fine. We're used to it. And by we, it means Russ. Please don't laugh at me. I'm a very special snowflake. <laughs> oh, oh, always got him. We always had a spitake there. <laughs> there will be no coffee coming out of my nose. <laughs> um, so, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, no, they've uh, they've, they've previewed. Yes, uh, the, uh, the the new preview includes the false lantern grove, the festering pit of Fu Lung, Fu Leng, oh. and the forgotten tomb of uh, Fu Leng. Oh, I think sounds- previously we've mentioned a post that talked about the Falcon Clan, which is one of the minor clans that um, that were swarmed to fight the spiritual threats of the Shadowlands. Oh well, th- but th- with this new source book, it sounds like they're not a uh, Fu Leng around. Ow. Oh. Ow. <laughs> oh, that, that physically hurt. I saw an opening. I had to go for it. It's been wrong not to. I'm sorry. I distracted you. Please continue. Age of Sigma. Huzzah! Age of Sigma. War- is this Warhammer Fantasy related in some fashion? Yes. Yes, yeah. it is. Uh, Cubicle 7 has unveiled Age of Sigma's cover art. Um, it's done by John Grenier, and it is a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous piece of art. On the left of it, you can see, like, hordes of undead, the forces of chaos, charging towards a group of heroes, um, which are kind of, like, glowing with um, virtuous light, I guess. Um, you know, hold, holding back the forces. It's absolutely lovely. That, that sounds like a, a strong cover for any book. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. Love it. Um, the Age of Sigma, of course, is uh, a Warhammer game. It's set after the Age of Chaos. Um, and it's a D6 dice pool game. Um, so during the Age of Chaos, the mortal realms were overrun with, you know, sort of violence and death and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Violence and death and death, you know, violence. And- are, are you saying in the Grimdark or the Grimdark there was only Grimdark? <laughs> yeah, it was all, it was all Grimdark. Um, but then, then, uh, then the Sigma returned. This, this 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 god called Sigmar returned, and the beginning of the Age of Sigmar began. Yes. And um, yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, that that sounds like a it will be a thing to read at some point. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes. Link as always in the show notes. Hey, go for Age of Sigmar. Right. Hmm. Oh, I believe there's been some news about that thing that they have been trailing for quite some time. Uh, the D&D nautical version. Okay, uh, so yes, the new D&D book coming uh, in May uh, is called The Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Not called Shiver My Timbers. I wish it was called not Shiver called, My Timbers. Or Long Walk, walk Shock Bank. Or, bank. <laughs> oh shit, it's wet in here. Or, <laughs> Ahoy there, matey. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly, all, exactly. All, all superior names. Although I understand Ghosts of Saltmarsh to be actually based on an older module is that right yes the old salt mosh trilogy in fact mm. um so it's a nautical themed book it actually contains a whole bunch of short adventures so mm. it's more like um oh, what's it called the book tales of yawning portal yes that it's more okay. like that but they're all they're all nautical themed ah, um, so you can do so a series of picaresques how exciting yeah, so, so it's got the classic U series um, plus some of the best nautical adventures um, from the history of Dungeon Magazine. So we've got The Sinister Ooh. Secret of Saltmarsh, Danger at Dunwater, Salvage Operation, Isle of the Abbey, The Final Enemy, Tamarot's Fate, and The Styes. They like plus their rules, illustration. Yeah, plus rules for ships, sea travel, deck plans, uh, oh. new monsters, all the sort of stuff that you would expect to see in a nautical source book. Yeah, yeah. And, and probably some special tips like don't fall off the side of the boat if you're a paladin. Yeah. So I, I posted Tame the news. Again. Yeah. I posted the news about this. So it was something like eight o'clock last night, our turn. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, it popped up on Amazon. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. Wizards hasn't said anything. Um, so it popped up on Amazon. Wizards will blame us for it, but it popped up on Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
Um, yeah, as soon as I posted it, it had something like 10,000 views within the first sort of 20 minutes. It's ridiculous. Nice. These these D&D product announcements are just such big news items. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although, I mean, you do have to wonder, is it part of a deliberate marketing strategy because they have these things pop up on Amazon and then they don't say anything and then we have like the announcement of the announcement of the pre-announcement of the announcement uh, of the new product coming out. They have announced when the announcement will be. They've announced the announcement. Oh, oh the, the pre-announcement has been announced. The pre-announcement of the announcement has been made. Oh, that's fantastic news. Fantastic. <laughs> so the so the announcement will be made oh, during nice. their, their weekend live stream, which they do in LA every year, where they're oh, yeah, going yeah. to announce the new D&D product. But they've announced when they're going to announce the announcement. That's good. So they yeah, can make sure you tune in to see the announcement. Oh, well, I, for one, feel better informed. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. Marketing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, anything else happened? Yes. Lots really? of other things have happened. Really? Um, right, uh, you, would you like more D&D stuff? More D&D stuff? Can I have some mm. more D&D stuff? <laughs> For some reason, all the news is D&D stuff. <laughs> well, it's my fault. I'm just a messenger. I don't, <laughs> I don't make the news. I just tell you what the news is. Well, well, well clearly we should have to shoot you then. That, that's, well, the, yeah. that's what you do with messengers, right? I, I uh, appa- appa- apparently so. Yeah. so oh, um, well, I, the- I do have a bit of news, actually. That, ooh, ooh. Is it D&D news? It's not D&D news. Ooh, excellent. Excellent. You, re- you remember our friend Ed Jowett at Shades of Vengeance? No, I forgot. Um, oh, okay. He? He's been on the show twice for us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's got his Era Consortium miniatures, and it's the fifth anniversary. Uh, so he's doing a another Kickstarter because say what you like about Ed Jarrett, that man loves his Kickstarters. <laughs> he does. He does uh, enjoy a Kickstarter. He does enjoy a Kickstarter. It's it's a special sort of personality uh, that he has but we love him anyway so you you, get, you do you Ed and you magnificent sir so he's basically uh, the diametric opposite of me isn't he in every possible way he's the diametric opposite of a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah there it is. he's got they've got he's got the special fifth anniversary definitive edition hardback coming out 420 pages and a whole set of uh, miniatures including heroes and uh, smirch off security soldiers so there you go that's the official press release from uh, uh, Shades of Vengeance, which I am reading out. Therefore, making okay. a journalist, I understand. All right, then. How would you like some Greek D&D? I'd love some Greek D&D. It's actually American D&D, but it's oh. Greek-themed. I'm listening. Odyssey of the Dragon Lords. It's a strong name. Yeah, it, is, uh, it was actually announced last year. Um, it was some people from Bioware that set up their little uh, D&D studio. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they've since partnered with Modifius, as pretty much everyone seems to do these days, uh, for distribution. Uh, and Odyssey of the Dragon Lords is sort of inspired by Greek mythology. So it's a campaign setting. I'm um, set in the world of, here goes me with the names again, Thylia. Thylia? Thylia? Uh, and it's, uh, it's a campaign that, setting for fifth edition. Is that the Dragon Age world? I don't know. I've never played the games. So, it is yeah. not the Dragon Age world, no. Odyssey of the Dragon Lords, it's... Um, uh, there's a 28-page sort of free booklet you can get now. It was released oh, yeah. last week. You can download it. Uh, you, I downloaded it and peeked at it, and my oh, God, it's beautiful. It's yeah. like, this is this is layout to the max. You know what I mean? It's like gorgeous art, and I suppose from 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 people who work for, for something like Bioware, you would expect because they've got all those resources to get gorgeous art and gorgeous layout and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's absolutely lovely. Oh. Uh, totally free, 28 pages, so you can download it presumably in advance of a proper hardcover campaign setting later this year. That sounds jolly. Okay. Uh, okay. And we've got more D&D news on top of that? Sadly, it's more D&D news, or happily, depending on your uh, perspective. I, I think everyone loves a bit of D&D news, unless you don't, in which case. That's it's more, it, but it's more stats. <laughs> more stats! They ah. keep releasing stats. Ah. This time Got it's it. feats. Feats? What do you reckon the most popular feat is? Oh, that is a tricky one. Um, it's either I, I, I would say it's either Polar Master or Great Weapon Master. Uh, incorrect. Uh-huh. Neither of those are even in the top four. Wow. Tell me then, Russ, what is the top four of epic feats that are chosen for D&D? Okay. Number one is the Warcaster. 
That is a solid choice. Number two is tough. Okay, yes, that, that is certainly a thing you could do, yep. Number three is lucky. Ah, lucky. How come I've, I've never actually had anyone take lucky in any of the games I've been in. So, yeah, it's like, but there you go. Yep, anything else? And number awesome four before. is sharpshooter. Ah, sharpshooter, yes. No, it makes sense, makes sense. Uh, they've also got it broken down by class. So if you wanted to see what the top three monk ones were or the top three druid ones were or whatever, you can do that. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes for that too. Yes. Pro- probably not those for monk, I'd have thought, but I'm probably wrong about that as well. There's so many things to be wrong about. So little time. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't mean that's necessarily the best ones. They're just the most popular ones. They're the most popular ones. Yeah. Yes. Best will yeah. be a movable feast depending on exactly what you're trying to achieve. Yes, yeah. Right, well, that is it for the news this week. Fantastic. It is fantastic. Uh, So, what would you like to do now? Would you like to play our favourite game in all the world? Would I? But the question I have to ask is, where will I get a deck of playing cards at this this sort of notice? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the jokes never get old. (laughs) Even when you make the same joke every week, week after week after week. (laughs) What, about being confused about what our favourite game in the world is? <laughs> yes, yes. Because really? as our listeners know, our favourite game in the world is in fact the game where I tell you the name of a Kickstarter and you have to guess what it is from just the name. Oh, yes, yes, yes. that is our favourite game in all the world. I had forgotten about that somehow. Oh, yeah. I think, I think Chris, would you like to play as well, Chris? Yes, I would. Okay. Fantastic! All right, then. Right. Uh, Ooh, we Russ, don't... In, a, in a break from tradition, can we have quick Kickstarters... This are going to end after the show has gone out. We did that once. I made that mistake once, like two months ago, with one Kickstarter, and you just won't let it go. <laughs> what can I say? I'm not Elsa. Oh. Uh, frozen jokes as well. Ah, oh, yes, yes. Uh, right, we don't actually have many this week, so it's just going to be one each, I'm afraid. Uh, well, okay. I've, I've got four here, but two of them are so obvious by the name that I don't think there's much point... Ultimate uh, Player Race Creator and Pocket Box Games of the 80s, I think, are both really, really obvious what they are. So, wait, is Pocket Box Game of the 80s this enormous box of games built in the 2000s? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, 10 out of 10. That's exactly what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to make my bad joke, too. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But you came to the right podcast, my friend. You came to the right podcast. (laughs) Well, Pocket Box Games of the 80s is Steve Jackson Games' thing, which is Star Wars, Truck Stop and Crash City. Yeah. They're remaking them. And Ultimate Player Race Creator, which I think has actually been mentioned on the podcast before, was how you create a whole bunch mm. of different races yourself. Yeah. yeah. But let's move on to the game. So it's literally just going to be one each. So okay. it's all just uh, on one guess. Uh, it's going to be a tough to play one. For. All to play okay. for. So well, let's, start, let's start with you, uh, Peter, and then, and then Chris can see how it works. Yeah, yeah. Are you ready? Yeah, they do it. Okay. Peter, what is Hudson and Brand Shadows of the Past? Mm. Well, to be honest, it sounds like a comic book. I want that I pick up and read um, because if I was reading Hudson and Brand Shadows of the Past, I would be expecting sort of a early to mid 20th century set sort of tales of adventure involving somebody called Hudson, somebody called Brand. Um, and probably going off on some sort of adventures in, we'll say America, but possibly expand that to other places as well. But primarily, uh, they're Americans doing American things, um, involving some sort of Cthulhu-esque mythos. So that's what I'd expect it to be. Uh, but it's not a comic book. It's got to be an RPG product. So yeah, like a source book for that. Um, but it doesn't sound very Cthulhu-y. No, I'll go with that. That guess, but has a source book for Call of Cthulhu. Okay. Well, you're correct. It is not a comic book. Huzzah! <laughs> um, actually, you're not too far off. Um, so it is for Call of Cthulhu. Um, it's set in Victorian London, not America. Ah. And um, it's three linked scenarios. Um, so it's basically an anthology, a little anthology collection. Um, it's built on a setting um, established in something called Hudson and Brand Inquiry Agents of the Obscure, although it does stand on its own, so you don't need that book. Um, so three scenarios, uh, a Cthulhu by Gaslight adventure anthology, essentially. Uh, you've got to thwart an ancient cult 
that seeks vengeance against the empire for its activities in Africa. And by empire, I'm assuming they mean the galactic, the galactic empire headed up by Chancellor Palpatine. Well, it'd be Emperor Palpatine if it's empire. Yeah. Otherwise, like he was chancellor for the, um, like federation, confederation. What was it called? The Senate. There we go. The Republic. The Republic. Yes, there we go. Republics have Senate. Everyone knows this. Yeah. Um, so, oh, I know. Uh, five out of ten there, Peter. You weren't too Woo. far off. <laughs> so, Chris. Best score in weeks. Five out of I'm ten to beat. I don't, wanna, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but when we've, had, when, when we've had guests on, Peter has, to this date, never yet won. He's lost every time. What were the chances? I like to enable people and make them feel better about themselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ooh, then. Nice. Yeah. All go. right, then. Here we go. Are you ready? Go ready. Right. What is Beat the Boss? Uh, I'm going to assume it's not a video game. Oh, uh, yeah. This is a role-playing game podcast. You can you can take that as the uh, <laughs> as the core assumption. Um, let's go. It's going to be a supplement that deals with creating powerful and fully fleshed out antagonists for your campaign. Hmm. And if it's not, I may make that book after this podcast. <laughs> Hooray! There well, we go. I suggest you do go and make that book. Oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> <laughs> Silver cloud. Silver lining and all that. Um, unfortunately, you might be the first person ever to lose to Peter in our favourite game in all the world, which is... I'm glad you're not making me feel bad about it being bad. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> what we'll do is we'll say you did it deliberately just to make him feel better. Oh, thank you, Chris. I appreciate <laughs> you throwing a game for me. Um, so this is a uh, core rule book for an RPG um, powered by the Apocalypse game. Uh, oh. And it's, uh, it's based on class war, organising on the job and in the community. So in Beat the Boss, you and your friends take turns organizing a group of workers to take part in the fight of their lives. You have to identify issues, make banners, and then plan and take actions that will change the balance of power at work. Okay, wow, that was hard. Yeah. But, but it's a good name, though. That is, yeah. That is, yeah. That is a proper good name. To be, honest, that, I just want... to be honest, that was a tough one. I, I'd have been amazed if you'd gotten that. That was... Uh, uh, yeah, it's very rare you see RPGs go full-on communist. Um, I'm like, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Why not? <laughs> uh, but, but surely it should be called Beat the Boss World. I mean, that, that, that would have then been an instant gimmick. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> Powered by the apocalypse and all. Yeah. Right, yeah. anyway. Anyway, that's it for our favourite game in the world. Somehow, Peter has yeah. scraped through for the first time in his life. I will to take win. my defeat and I will go and eventually pour my sorrows out over Scott. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Harry, I've decided. I'm going to tell girls I'm a wizard. But, Jeff, you're you're not a wizard. You can't even cast spells. Hey, I've always wanted to be a wizard. And besides, it will help me get with the ladies. Jeff, you don't even know the first thing about wizardry. We'll see. i got a date tonight. I'll tell you all about it tomorrow. Why did I tell you, Harry? The ladies love a wizard. But you're not a wizard. You can't learn the whole of wizardry in a single day. That's absurd. Oh, you can, my friend. You can if you have to write teacher. Listen, Jeff, I don't care if it's Mordenkainen himself. There's no wizard in the whole of Faroon that can teach you how to do magic in five hours. Go on, then. What's his name? Who's that? Your wizard tutor. What's his name, Jeff? What if I want to be a wizard? Uh, his, his yeah, name? Yeah, what's his name? What? What's this? Well, that silent spell seems to be working just fine. Come on, who are you? Mephistopheles, okay? Mephistopheles. My wizard teacher's name is Mephistopheles. Mephist... Jeff! Jeff, you... Yep. You idiot! You went and... Yeah, I did. And you know what? I'm proud of it. I'm a wizard now, and that's that. Oh, you idiot. You're not a wizard. You're a warlock. Shall we start talking about Chris and Harlem Unbound? But he's sitting right there. He'll he'll be able to hear everything we have <laughs> <Yes>. to say. <laughs>
I may have heard about that book in passing. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Harlem Unbound won, um, you said, three Ennies last year. Yeah. Which is astonishing. And I have read it, and I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I assume you've read it as well, Peter? Yes. Just to sort of put it in context. Um, so, Harlem Unbound, it's, uh, it's for Call of Cthulhu, and it's for um, Peregrine's um, gumshoe system. Mm, and it's set places. in, I believe, it's 1920s uh, New York, in Harlem specifically, um, during a time when there were a lot of uh, race struggles going on. Um, and uh, I believe you refer to it as uh, the uh, Renaissance? It's the Harlem Renaissance, Harlem which Renaissance, kind of ran yeah. from roughly 1918 to the mid-1930s. Yeah. All of that with a, a beautiful blend of Cthulhu-esque horror and cultists and all that sort of lovely, dark Cthulhu stuff that you get, you get and all that. Obviously... American history isn't really my strong point. I know smatterings, but I'm not. I'm not. I, I will. I will. I refuse to make you feel bad about knowing the importance <laughs> of the Harlem Renaissance by saying it or pointing it out now. And you all do that. You do that. It's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> it was monumental well, I, and I groundbreaking know. and world changing. Let's just say I know more about it now than I did previously. So. <laughs> that Which is part, part of the reason for the book. Excellent. Yeah. Um, no. I know it's it's like super educational that book. I mean, I, uh, you've got tons of information about the history of Harlem. Oh. I mean, not aside from the Cthulhu stuff and the sort of adventures that you've got in the book. You've got tons of stuff about the history of Harlem, all the sort of social conditions going on at the time, um, all the sort of um, effects of things like um, the Jim Crow laws and all that sort of stuff you talk about. You even have advice in there for uh, non-black players playing black characters and what's appropriate oh. to do and say and what's not and you know, you sensibly sort of say, don't try and put on a silly accent and don't try and do this and don't try and do that. I felt that was incredibly crucial if you're trying to make something that's engaging for everyone and you want to create a safe space for people yeah. to play in. Yeah. Because the topic <laughs> itself is incredibly difficult and it's something a lot of people try not to address. Some people said they role-playing is light, fair, and it shouldn't deal with real-world issues, yeah. which yeah. I, of course, totally disagree with. Yeah, absolutely. You're on the opposite end of that. Of that. Yeah. Um, when did you start writing this? I know mean, it came out a year or two ago, but when did when did you start on this on this project? Probably 2014 is when the idea sort of first came to me. Yeah, and yeah. I created a sort of a pitch document, and I sent it around to different companies, and I got a lot of that's not quite what we're looking for. Mm. And even getting rejections would take a massive amount of time. So yeah. they would take it, yeah. they'd sit on it, and then eventually I'd hear back, no, it's not for us. And right. I started going. To, I fortunately was introduced to Avi, and I learned about Metatopia. And I went to Metatopia one year, and I sort of had a, a hate to call it a soapbox, but a soapbox. And I was talking about all the issues I've seen in gaming out of my time gaming, how the things I want to change, and about Harlem Unbound, and how I think it's a great tool that can help sort of move that conversation forward. Mm. So, Cthulhu, Gumshoe, what would you say each of those two systems brings um, to the game? Because they're two different systems, and I noticed you've included both in one book. They're, they're not entirely dissimilar. They're very investigation-focused. Oh, yeah, and there are Cthulhu games powered by the Gumshoe system, obviously, yeah. Having a, a foot, really, in both the Chaosium Call of Cthulhu and Gumshoe in from Trail. I've also read a little bit of Ashen Stars, and I've done the entire oh. experience itself. Each yeah. one has a different benefit they would bring to it. For the Gumshoe yeah. side, it's a lot more investigative. And you can drill down on that aspect of it and move away yeah. from the actual combat because necessarily combat isn't what you're going to want to go for in this type of game because you're dealing right. with social issues. And if you want to say in the 20s, punch a cop as a black person, your game is pretty much pretty close to being over. Yeah. 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 That's, got, that's gone very badly wrong. Yeah. Gumshoe lets you focus more on the interactive aspects. You acquire all the clues and you sort of solve the mystery while hopefully circumventing the real life issues that you have to navigate through. And still stop the mythos. And for Call, it lets you do some investigative work, but it also adds a little bit of that action and horror to it. For when you see it, the sanity effects of like marking off the points from 100 going down yeah, is yeah. a very visceral effect for a player to sit there, well, I guess I'll oh, mark through those four points of sanity yeah, and look yeah. at what they have. And it gives you more of a combat flair for that if you want to go for it. If you're kicking open a door and trying to shoot down a, a band of ghouls that are munching on someone yeah yeah oh exactly yeah or, yeah. or there's just uh, you find the shock off in the basement and sometimes the only answer is more dynamite yeah yeah i mean i i have a shock off in the basement 
And my <laughs> current... That's, that's, not, that's, that's not an innuendo, by the way. Okay. Well, 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 for instance, my current con scenario that I run for when I go to conventions is a Pulp Cthulhu sort of early 1930s Harlem Renaissance game that deals with mobsters and some other things I can't tell because there'll be spoilers. Right, okay. Oh, absolutely. Um, spoilers are absolutely inapplicable, so we'll have none of those on this podcast. Thank you. We appreciate your restraint. Um, I think I think the game comes with um, four, four, four adventures uh, written in to help you really get into, start into role-playing in the Harlem setting. Um, and they... They looked, they looked pretty good. Um, Harlem Hellfighters, Harlem Hell Harlem Knights, sorry. Yeah, um, and there were another couple as well. Uh, the Contender, A Love Story, and Dreams of yes. Broken Wings. Yes, there we go. You can tell which ones I was interested in, to be fair. What kind mm. of makes it? So what, what, what made you think to sort of, um, other than just writing a game set in that time period and that location and then bringing in the Cthulhu stuff, what made you decide to sort of, what, what was it that made you think that you really wanted to bring in the sort of more educational aspects of the game where you talk very much about the time period, the location, um, the racism mm. that took place and all that sort of stuff? What, what made you want to, want to do that in a role-playing game? That was one of the key things for me. Yeah. Because a lot of... African-American history and history of diverse people are sort of being erased or being whitewashed over. Yeah. And other people are claiming stories. And one of the ways that we can help fight that is to educate people about the actual history of what's going on in the world. And you need to do it in a way that's engaging and has something that people want to read. And then after they've read it, they sort of ingest part of it and they go and share it with other people. Mm. And that mm. sharing part is what role playing is exceptional at. Because, for instance, if I wrote a novel, Peter might have read it and think, well, yeah, that's a pretty good book. And he may say, hey, this is a decent book. And you may or may not have some interest in it. But for the role-playing game, Peter reads it, says, you know what? I really like this scenario. I want to run this scenario. Then he's pulling in a group of anywhere from three to six players. Mm -hmm. My table has gone up to 14 players. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Out of the, We'll say out of those six people, two or three of them may also be GMs. And they go, you know what? I really like this. And then they'll go play and they'll bring another three to six people. And it ripples out in the waves. And it's educating. It's fun. And it's helping people live as much as they can that experience. So when yeah. they meet someone else that's different from them, they may view that person differently and try to interact and be more understanding for them. Right. So, uh, in your view, it's important that uh, players do actually, um, I say experience, obviously they're not experiencing the racism, but um, get a glimpse of the, ra the racism that took place um, just, just through their interactions with NPCs and, and so forth. Yes, because even in the book I state up front, there's no way that we can understand, th sorry, there's no way that we can experience or live through what these people live through. Yeah. We yeah. can sort of get like... Uh, a vague glimpse of it and we know what it is and then when we see it even in that game we can then look around us and see how it's still impacting us every day now because mm -hmm. racism is still very real today and oh, lethal yeah. still today yeah yeah oh, absolutely yeah, yeah so yeah. um it, it's sort of contrary to the sort of games i would myself run because i don't generally touch upon um themes of racism on the grounds that if someone has to deal with this in their regular life why would I then want to make them deal with this in their fantasy life? But this sort of experiential, like, you know, ways to see the world in different shoes, it's like, you know, from an empathetic point of view, you know, a really interesting experiment. Um, but that's also why I introduced different levels of play in the game, yeah. so you can see how much of it you want to put in your game. Because not doing it all, in my opinion, doesn't help the conversation, doesn't help the other people in the world understand what's going on. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, um, and also, I mean, it's not just a game about racism. That is a theme that you can have in the game, which you can have more or less on as you see fixed. You provided for that, but also it's like a really incredibly detailed setting. That's one of the things I really appreciated when I was reading it, because for a lot of Cthulhu, uh, especially in the UK, you can either do something set in. 1920s UK which sort of we have more of a familiarity with and it tends to be like small isolated villages and there's a lot of fog involved <laughs> right yeah you got a state home you got some fog you're good you're good mate you're good is what we're saying um whereas like doing stuff in 1920s America we're a lot more at sea uh metaphorically speaking so the fact that you've got this like well-defined setting of Harlem in New York 
So there's like an outside place, but because it's all really concentrated, you can go into building up a lot of it. And it, it sort of um, is something that I think that we could maybe get on board with, if that makes mm. sense. But it is such a rich, rich setting, isn't it? Mm, I mean, I think yeah. it's certainly one of the benefits of using real world locations and places, especially places that, you know, we know an awful lot about. Like, you know, if you... Or think we do. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean... So, um, yeah, yeah. But um, for me, one of the best compliments I got from the book was someone that lives in Harlem told me that reading this book completely conveyed what Harlem is to me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. That's got to make you feel good. It, it did. And it's awesome. And I'm glad people are enjoying the setting because the writers that worked on it had to do an incredible amount of research. And yeah. we went back and forth. It's like, I need for like this to be completely accurate. For instance, if we're like walking down this avenue, I need to make sure whatever building was there at that point in time, we can reference. So yeah, someone sure. goes back and they go, I don't think that building exists in 1927. That building is there in 1927. It may be gone yeah. in 1928, but it's there in 1927. Yeah. Well, um, I think the sort of the, uh, the richness of sort of like the music and the styles and all that sort of stuff, which is also very quintessentially American as well. Um, like Peter was saying, very, very foreign to us. Um, but it's, it's so, it's so immersive that I was, I was reading through it and I was just thinking, I really, really, really want to actually play in this setting. I mean, even if, even if it didn't have important things to say, which it does, I would still want to play in that setting because it's so richly written. There's so much detail you've got in there. And it's, you know, you've got so many just like uh, small locations crammed in there, which you just think, oh, I just want to go to that club. I just want to, I just, I just want to see that barbershop. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, oh, yeah. If you want to come to Breakout Con in, in Toronto next month, it's the last game of Harlem Unbound that I'm running for first edition. Uh, that'll be that'll be Toronto, South Canada. Canada. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Canada, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it, it does sound fun, and um, I, I, I do uh, mean to revisit Toronto. It's been a while, but uh, yeah, next month might be a bit, a bit short notice for me. But, uh, <laughs> If, if you make it, I'll make sure there's a seat just for you. Thank you. Ah, oh, oh, uh, I'll have to see how Jess feels about a trip. <laughs> so, so, so from a uh, perspective of someone like me, so a white guy, an English white guy, so a super English, uh, you know, American history and American culture is, you know, not totally foreign to me because I, you know, I have a television. I mean, what what advice would you give someone like me that's decided, right, I want to sit down with uh, my gaming group who is, again, they're all middle-aged white men. What what advice would you give someone like me if I were to, you know, sit down and decide, I'm going I'm to run one of these adventures for this gaming group. How, how, how should someone like me approach that? First thing is probably to sit down and have an honest discussion yeah. with your gaming yeah. group. It doesn't have to be a long one, just something that you all touch base and that you're all on the same page. So you can then gauge what level of comfort people have. Yeah. Because yeah. the objective isn't to make someone feel uncomfortable completely in playing the game. Sure. Like, I don't really... There are three different tiers. I don't expect anyone to probably ever really play the purest tier that I myself have run, which tries to bring in as much of a harsh reality as we can. Yeah. And that's a very intimate sort of experience where you have to trust the people that you're having that game with. Right. Um, I think if you're um, if you're if you're running the game and you're playing, say, a white police officer, and your oh. players obviously are playing black protagonists, which is the basic the core concept of the game, the interactions between the GM and the player, I mean, they could verge on the problematic. I would think how you know I, I struggle with how I would traverse that line while keeping no, I mean, trying trying to keep it real and educational without. You know, going too far and making it an uncomfortable and unpleasant experience for those involved. Well, at yeah. some level, it's going to be uncomfortable no matter what. Yeah. Because yeah. of the subject matter, people's oversensitivity to it in a negative aspect and not really trying to address it. Yeah. Most people would yeah. rather ignore it and like it doesn't exist, which sure. hurts everyone that racism impacts. So it goes back to what I've mentioned before. It's that initial conversation that lets you yeah. establish what you want to do. Um, if you go for like the first layer where they might only use a racial tension modifier, which gives them like sort of negative dice to their roles and they may imply certain things. For instance, I know when I run a game, when I run con games, I try to make it around the first tier because it's people that I don't know. They don't know me. They're maybe just be trying to test out Harlem Unbound because it's something they heard. They might have read an article about it or they have interest in trying to see the conversation move forward. Mm. So for that. 
it's a lot of implied things. One of the things that happens in the scenario that I just mentioned before for the pulp one is some of it revolves around a house and the investigators go and some of them went to city hall and they go to city hall to try to find out about the house. But before they could find out anything for the house, the receptionist gives them a form to fill out and they fill out the form and then she reads over it and says something more or less to the extent changes per group that, ah, all right, I see that you can read. So then what do you need? So right, it goes okay. back to the literacy test that African-Americans always had to take before they could attempt to vote. And it's not as harsh as it is because the literacy test they had to take would always change and the answers would always be a little different or constantly evolving. So right, it's yeah, yeah. But oh, that yeah. is a subtle nod to what people go through. And even after saying that, the players go, oh, crap. I didn't know that's what we just did. Mm. And that's not yeah. using offensive language. That's not doing anything violent, but it's still conveying the same message. In True. I mean, when it comes to offensive language, that really is, uh, you know, that is a very difficult subject. I mean, I've read your advice on, for example, the N-word in the book where you basically say, don't use it. It's just, you don't need well, to. Yeah. You can, you can, you can, you can sort of uh, conjure the horror of racism in other ways. You don't have to do that. Um, Show, don't tell sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not like you're going to have to learn mass, learn massive new jamming skills. Like we're talking about having a conversation with your players. That's that's session zero stuff. Mm. It's like you should be you should probably be doing that before you start on new campaigns anyway. You know, just to make sure everyone's on the same page. But that's the easiest and simplest <laughs> one to convey in a very short conversation. Is that initial the initial talk? You're establishing a baseline. To go into more detail would be a definitely a more engaging conversation. I think it'll take longer than what we have here. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, absolutely. Would you would you suggest using any offensive terms at all? For any group. For or me, would, no. Would you say it's not, not It gives you, it may give you like an immediate shock value, but you're more more inclined to offend someone at the table. Yeah. Even if you don't intend to, mm-hmm. and it will not give you what you want. Yeah. You yeah. should be conveyed through actions. Subtle, small things are definitely more powerful. Yeah. Because for yeah, instance, exactly. if I'm at a table and someone says like an offensive word, I may just get up and leave. Mm. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So uh, it's like things you mentioned, like, um, I think like plantation owners were setting their dogs on someone, but you could also have it again with very subtly, like you mentioned just now, like the receptionist gives you a dirty look or things I've seen for sexism is refusing to talk to the women in the party and only addressing the men sort of thing. That sort of, uh, that sort of um, show of bias. Yeah. Would that be like- Which I've also done that in one of the games because in the concert I have, it's an integrated party. And when they go to different places, the individuals speak to different people in the party. Yeah. And it's just not yeah. against black people. They go to somewhere that's more or less a completely black run club. They're more inclined to talk to the black person and ignore like the, the white person yeah. that's with them. So it's not just about that. It's you have to find a way to balance everything. It's a, it's a delicate dance. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about um, the Jim Crow laws? I mean, they were in effect at the time, weren't they? Yes. In the uh, American yeah. South, did they 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 were off as far as Jim Crow? I think stayed on the books in the South until the sixties. Oh, that late! Yeah, wow. But wow. I want to also point out that racism is not only in the South. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's for instance, like the Green Book is one of the the real Green Book, not the movie that about the white savior Green Book that won the Oscars last night. I haven't oh. seen it yet. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> for you, but I'm really a little yeah, about that. Yeah, okay. So the Green Book was actually used to travel throughout the United States because there are racist places in New York, over in California. Racism is not only in the South. Mm-hmm. I know that's a story that people oh, like to yeah. tell. It's not true. Yeah. It's yeah. also an international thing. And I know that people only try to say racism is only in the U.S., but it's... Sorry, there was a soapbox coming. No, that's all right. It's all right. Well, it's just like... Please feel free. Get yourself comfy. You need a small step to get onto it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you, you've in this initial game, is there is there more coming? Uh, well, there's the second edition of Harlem Unbound that uh, which you're doing Chaos with Chaos and I yeah, yeah, I saw that. Oh, so what what can we expect to see in the second edition? What is it bigger? Is it better? Is it? Uh, I will say that it is definitely. Better-ish. Right. <laughs> Which means... So I get... There's a lot of stuff that I wanted to do for the first edition that I couldn't do because of time constraints, being the first book I ever published. And so now I'm getting a chance to go back and tweak some things from the first edition. Okay. There's probably okay. about 30 to 40% new material in volume two. There's okay. new scenarios. There are 
maps for the scenarios themselves. There's new art. Some of the texts have changed. I've got a new proofreader to come in and read over some different things. It's vastly, vastly different. It's worth having both editions. Excellent. When, when, when can we expect to see that? Is that going to be kickstarted or is it? It's not being kickstarted. Oh, not kickstarted. I've actually, I've sent the final document over to Chaosium last month. Yeah. The yeah, cover yeah. art's already dropped. Uh, it's going to be re- released in uh, Redacted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to be fair, I, I, I'm the same. I never give release dates things because every single time you give a release date and you miss it, Off someone fish. shouts at you. So I just got to the point where I say, I don't know, when it's done. But I do Nobody want to take a minute to sit, talk a little bit about Mask of the Mythos, if that's all right. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. So Onyx Path approached me because they want to introduce a Mythos Pantheon into Scion. Mm-hmm. And they asked if I'd be interested and I accept it, so I'm actually working on a Mythos Scion book right now. Okay. Simple the team. We're actually having our first big meeting tonight, and it's pretty exciting. Wow. So that's literally just starting. Yes. Wow. Wow. So what? Our first so meeting what? is tonight. Everyone has different material they've read, yeah. and it's going to be a writer scrum, basically. Wow. That sounds wow. fantastic. And that's yeah, all- that, 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 that sound you're hearing is the sound of my brain changing gears without a clutch. It's like, oh, okay, wow. Yeah, Mythos and Scion. <laughs> that's... Uh, Scion, uh, for those listeners who are unfamiliar with it, is where people are the Scions, the children essentially of God, gods, a bit like Hercules and so forth, but also with pantheons from all over the world. I think there's like Aztec, Indian, uh, Chinese, Nordic, Greek, a ho- the whole nine yards. If you've had like a pantheon of gods, they've got you covered in Scion. So actually doing a Mythos pantheon, it sounds so obvious should totally have thought of it before, but it didn't. So, so good and work. I can say that uh, Neil Raymond Price and his crew that put out the second edition Scion book cared so much about proper representation. Mm. I yeah, am yeah. astonished, and I, I am proud to be part of this. That's right. I can't uh, wait to see good. it. Oh. Yeah, that is, yeah, Master of Mythos. Right. Can I just jump back to Hollow Unbound quickly? Is that right? I am always happy to talk about. Oh, it. No, I just oh, wanted yeah. to talk to you. Uh, um, I was just wondering, did you get any pushback? from the crowd that likes to say, I don't want politics in my games. You know, push back from people who say they don't want you to put that in what is for them uh, an yeah, arena well, where politics should steer clear. They don't want other people... Because it's something I see time and time yeah. again, and I, I can't imagine you didn't, but I thought I'd, I thought I'd yeah. ask. <laughs> I got some pushback, but also the Kickstarter page itself yeah. literally yeah. says that I'm flipping Lovecraft's concept on his head by placing diverse investigators as protagonists and not as side dressing or color or you and addressing Lovecraft's racism yeah. head on. Yeah. So, so, so you made it clear from the start. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And after that, I have a, a couple of, of troll fans that like to j- pop up whenever I do anything, but on the whole, it's been incredibly, I don't really know how to say it, but it feels great to know there's so many people that want to see it change. Mm. And their support outweighs any negative thing I've seen. Mm. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I think it also helps that it's, it is very good as well. Because so, something like that, when you're doing something so yeah. important, I think, obviously, it's very important that the actual material be good too. Um, otherwise, right. that could fall flat on its face. And uh, Which and, is uh, why I worked so hard to build the team that I did. Yeah, like, yeah. It's my name right. on the front cover of that book, but I could not have done that book by myself to the quality and standard it is. Yeah. I value every single member of my team. And that's why whenever I try to go anywhere, I try to tell people about them. I promote them to other creatives that are looking for artists or writers. Yeah. And every single one of them is a gem. Well, do you want, do you want to tell us a bit more about them now? Because like I say, they, it, it's clearly like an absolute labor of love. And they've pretty smashed it. But no, for the crew, Ruth Tillman, Alex Mayo, uh, Neil Raymond Price, Bob Geis, Brennan Reese, who is my right-hand man. Uh, there, Sarah Hood. There's uh, Nino Milan and Philip John Pierre. Mm. All of them exceptional. Who did the yeah. art in that book? Because you've got some very stylized, striking art in there. Who was the uh, artist? Philip, Brennan, Alex, and Nino did the art for the first edition. It's absolutely oh. lovely. I love it. Is that changing for the second edition then? Because I did actually really like that. I really liked that art. Is, is that for the second edition? I brought over most of the art from the first edition, but I've also managed to bring on Jabari Weathers, and they are incredible. I was incredibly ecstatic that Jabari joined the crew. I brought back maybe 80% of the original team. Mm-hmm. You, mentioned, uh, yeah. you mentioned Lovecraft earlier. 
And, oh, no. you know, obviously... Yeah, he, it's a little he, hard not to if you're talking about that. Sure, of course. But, he, I mean, he's kind of a big deal, Russ. Yeah, yeah. But my, po- my point is, he's, you know, he's famously uh, a very, very, very racist individual. Was. A very racist oh. individual. Um, uh, I, I presumably you're sort of comfortable with separating the art from the, from the man in, in that context. So a lot of people, I think, first come to Lovecraft and his work through gaming or Call of Cthulhu. Yes. For me, the first time I read Lovecraft's work, I actually read it in a novel sitting in an estate home at like one in the morning. Uh, So it gave me an understanding of because I was reading The Outsider, amongst other things. And the concept of being a a young black man in Alabama, Mm -hmm. having to fight against insurmountable odds or attempting to crush you under heel is what really appealed to me. And so that's what really linked me onto it. After that, I discovered more about Lovecraft, uh, the people that are fans of him and some of the different crowds and everything else. But I am able mostly to put aside the man himself and focus more on the work, but a lot of his politics from the work, and you have to sort of filter those out. Right, yeah. 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 I, I, wasn't, I mean, I, I really I have a terrible weakness for purple prose, and few writers are more purple in prose than, like, you know, H.P. Lovecraft, it's like full-on Edward Buller, Lytton, Dark and Stormy Night sort of jazz. And it's like, so I'm reading it, and it's like, ah, oh, but then, like, the ideas, like, they, they weren't even appropriate for the time period, because, like, some people say, oh, well, it's of his time. It's like, it wasn't even of his time. He was just... He was racist oh. even in the time of racist. It, it has been difficult, and there is a, a slew of other isms also associated with his work. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not 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 a big fan of of, of the wind folk. Uh, oh, HP Lovecraft, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, um, I sadly have never actually read any Lovecraft. I really should rectify that. I've read Call of Cthulhu, you know, and I've read role playing game stuff, but I haven't actually read any actual Lovecraft. I don't know, Chris. Is, is there any like of the? Because we talk about the mythos, because there's like a huge body of writers who, because it was like pretty much one of the first shared universes. I I would yeah. argue. Yeah, so like, there's a lot of people like uh, August Erleth, um even even Robert Howard of Conan fame, and and I mind I, you, I, 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 yeah, Howard's yeah. mythos stuff is a lot more pulpish than what Lovecraft yeah. is. I, I know that Lovecraft, something can be like, oh, that is horrible, oh, faint, faint of her, whereas Howard's like, well, something comes along, punch it out. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> This this is an interesting take on fight. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> I hadn't thought of this before, but yes, I see where you're coming from. Well, I think that sort of happens because you, you do see sort of Cthulhu-esque stuff being inserted into just about every game system in existence. There's Pathfinder yeah. Cthulhu and there's D&D Cthulhu and there's there's all sorts of stuff. But of course, you know, in something yeah. like Pathfinder, if it's got stats, you can kill it. I mean, that's just how the game works. But if you're looking for something, I would say The Shadow of Rinsmith is always a solid bet. Shadow yeah. of Time, The Outsider, if you want a short one. Probably best to start with a short one, to be fair, just to see if I can actually get into it. Because unlike Peter, I'm not a big fan of that kind of prose. I find that a struggle, so we'll see. Uh, then The Terrible Old Man, I think, is like three or four pages, and it's always three or four a nice pages. Little... I like the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> one page Lovecraft. That's the... Uh... Yeah. That's, that's oh, right. In really large font. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. uh, are, are there any more modern authors that you would recommend, Chris? Um, so, someone who's inspiring you at the moment. Um, sorry, I'm Coates. completely screen at on you. So you know, it's just Keanu like, Coates is always like my go-to. Mm. Who? Uh, Coates from originally <laughs> journalist at the Atlantic. He's now doing Black Panther. Oh, I'm looking at oh, my shelf of his books. If you haven't read it yet, Zornel Hurston's recent release, Barracoon, which is awesome. I actually got to list that in the second issue of Home Unbound that made me ecstatic. Nice. So anything anything else in the future? I mean, uh, Harlem is an example of a time period and a place that you could focus on. Have you got thoughts of doing games or settings elsewhere? Uh, I do. I've actually solidified my second Darker Who Studio project, what I want to do. I've started reaching out to a few people that I want to work with on it Mm -hmm. because I'm going to want yet I want another diverse team of people to work with me because the topic is going to be big I think this is going to be another hard book to to push can you give us any clues no no (laughs) 
I can say redacted six times if you want. <laughs> what about if we just that, start listing things voice. and you just you just <laughs> nod or shake your head? <laughs> no, no, uh, or you know what? I, I really like like a soul and sorcery book, like yo know, swords and sorcery, but something that takes advantage of the fact that Africa is a massively huge and diverse place. If you um, haven't read it, I'd suggest cool. you could start with uh, Charles Saunders and the Amaro series. Yeah, the, the Amaro stuff. Yeah, of um. I've been having a look, but I was thinking less for reading purposes and more for role-playing game setting. Ah, then you want to definitely check out Bastion by Jerry Grayson. Jerry is a genius and probably one of the best creative people I had a chance to work with. He actually brought me on to do Seven Seas work, mm-hmm. and I, I love his process. I may have like stolen a couple of things I do now from Jerry because it was so cool. Right. Well, we're coming up on an hour and a half now, so it's time to start. If you don't mind, I would like to do a selfless plug. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. So I've got a a couple things in the hopper for Chaosium. My Pulp Cthulhu superhero source book. It's modern day superheroes battling Cthulhu. Wow. Which I will be dropping to Mike sometime next month. What was that called? Sorry. Oh, it's blah, 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 Oh, okay. Blah, blah, blah. Another one of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 I dare you to actually call it that. <laughs> Redacted the redactionation. <laughs> then directly after that, I'm going headlong into the Afro-Judeo science fiction line that Chaosium announced last year. Oh. It, oh. Some of it got put on the back burner so we could get Holloman Bound V2 done. Yeah. But then it's yeah. all about that. Oh, what's that, what's that line called? Redacted. Again, redacted. <laughs> <laughs> it's a news podcast, Chris. I this the is the best podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. well, 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 Chris, I must say, you bought this on yourself. You're going to have to come back when some of these products have come out and tell us more about them. You know, All right. Is, is that be okay with you? It would be. But I will tell you one that I can tell you the title right. of that just came uh, out, and then I'll stop plugging for myself. Right. Yes. If you, if you get plug things that you can tell us about, that would be even better. <laughs> This is actually uh, for Pilgrim Press. Yep. It's the Cthulhu okay. Confidential, Even Death Can Die. Ooh. It takes three scenarios for all th- uh, Dex, Viv, and Langston and puts them in a book. Two of them, two of the scenarios for each character is already out on drive-thru, and the third scenario was written specifically for that book for each character. And I think they dropped it this week, yeah. so you can sign up and get the PDF now, and then the hard edition comes out, I think, later this Fantastic. year. Fantastic. Nice. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really do hope you do come back on again. You know, when, when you're allowed to say these redacted names, <laughs> just, just let us know. And you are absolutely more than welcome anytime. Thank you, everybody, for listening, as always. And until next week, that'll be goodbye for me, Russ. That'll be goodbye for me, Peter Coffey, from the Southampton Guild of Roll Players. That'll be a goodbye for me, Chris Bybee, Darkview Studios on Twitter. Goodbye, everybody. Until next week, bye-bye. Well, I imagine you were as disappointed as I was with that podcast. I will have them tortured as usual. I think I'm going to put Russ in a small box in the basement, while Peter will be hung from the ramparts.